And if you look on the front of your worship guide, you'll see that our series is called Sharing Good News. When have you received good news recently? I really want you to think about that question. See, nobody has to tell you when you receive good news to share good news. If you have a restaurant, that you find a restaurant that you really like, nobody has to tell you to share news of that restaurant with your friends. See, we think we have good news in the church. And we hope more people will hear that good news during our grand opening. And especially as our grand opening approaches, we hope you'll share your excitement about your Savior and your church with people you know. But we know that you need to be refreshed in hearing that good news before there's any chance that you're going to share your excitement with someone else. And so that's what this series is all about. So I'll ask you to please turn in your worship gods to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 to 17. Please turn to page 4. Hebrews is written by an unknown author to Jewish converts to Christianity. That's why it's called Hebrews, which is another name for Jews. And in chapter 12, the author addresses a Christian struggle with sin. So let's read Hebrews 12. 12 to 17, this is God's word. It is given to you in love. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. And here he's just making really a Jewish reference that they would all understand. Like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. Now, Hebrews 12 is built around a sustained metaphor of a foot race. Some of you are runners. It's a foot race. Now, if you were to read verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and the image here is of a great amphitheater, and there are banners uh, flying, And there are people in the stands. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So Christians struggle with sin in Hebrews 12 is a foot race. It's like a foot race. Now what's surprising is down in verse 12, the beginning of this morning's text, where the writer says, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. So what's that? Many of you know that in a marathon, at the front of the pack, there are these elite runners. And they're the ones who are lean and swift, and they knife through the course with just amazing speed. But at the rear of the pack, the picture is different. That's where we find the ordinary runners, with a little few, a few more years under their belt and a few extra pounds over the belt. 
So these are the runners at the back, and they're the ones dragging their feet and stopping to walk. And sometimes back-of-the-pack runners are close to exhaustion, and they're faint. And so other runners will stop and help them. And so what's surprising here uh, is that the author to the Hebrews identifies Christians with the back of the pack. You are the ones with feeble arms and weak knees. The reason why this is unexpected is the Jews were champion law keepers. And in a struggle against sin, the Jews would have seen themselves as the runners striding swiftly at the front of the pack. And the reason why this is important is I think a lot of us as church people, if we were to ask uh, in relation to this question of sin, uh, where would we be in that marathon? Some of us might say, compared to all the people we know in the world, we might put ourselves close to the front of the pack. Because we're the ones trying to be good. We're the ones here in church. We're the ones serving, reading our Bibles, and giving our money away. But the author's trying to get something else across. And so look at verse 15. This is the key verse. He says, look at verse 15 in your worship gods. I mean, you can uh, you know, take your lipstick and underline it, or take your highlighter, or just circle that with a pen, or see if you can get a little ink out of some of this confetti, and see if you can highlight it that way. This is the key verse, verse 15. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. Now, to our modern ears, this kind of warning sounds unnecessary. Why would anyone miss God's grace? Christians talk about grace all the time. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. We're talking about grace all the time. Grace, grace, grace. Why would anyone miss grace? But if you read Hebrews, what you find is the author trying to disentangle the Jews from religion. So what's religion? Religion is a system by which you try to find your way to God, earn your way to God. So the Jews were dedicated to keeping the law, and they made daily animal sacrifices at the temple. And annually, the great high priest went into the Holy of Holies to atone for any leftover sin. So in a struggle against sin, the Jews would have seemed to have been on the top of the heap. And the truth is, in terms of how we operate, many of us, I mean, we don't mean for it to be this way, but many of us default. See, here's the problem. The default for every human heart is religion. And so many of us default to trying to earn our way to God. And we don't mean to do that, but we compare ourselves to other people, and we always can find other people where we think we're a little superior in our attitudes or our actions. And so inside, we deny or minimize our own personal sin. We just look at other people and conclude we're a little better than they are. So, the author says to these religious people, don't miss grace. See, the truth is, most Christians have the facts straight. Jesus was born a virgin, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross in our place, and raised from the dead to new and everlasting life. Everybody knows the facts. But is it still possible to miss it? A few years ago, I watched a few episodes of a TV show about surprising find, finds in estate sales. And I 
Googled it but couldn't find it, but I'm just going to tell it to you from memory. This particular show uh, was typical. Three children had grown up in a humble home, and when their parents died, they brought in an auction company to sell off their parents' estate. Now, they didn't expect the auctioneers to find anything valuable. They knew what their parents had. But somebody did find this small, dusty painting under a stack in the attic. And at first, nobody paid any attention to it. Why should they? Then somebody had a hunch. And so they brought experts in. One thing led to another. And to make a long story short, that small painting under a dusty stack in the attic was in Rembrandt worth multiple millions of dollars, and nobody could believe it. And the three children were rich. <laughs> but here's what I particularly remember. Here's what I particularly remember. One of the children produced this old Kodak Polaroid photograph. And in the photograph are the three of them, as little kids, eating breakfast at their kitchen table. And there in the background, hanging in the kitchen, was this painting. And so the point was, all these years growing up, the entire family was going in and out of the kitchen every day. Nobody knew they had a Rembrandt hanging on the wall. Everybody missed it. That's the point. So the writer to the Hebrews is saying, it is possible for you to sit in church, it is possible for you to read your Bibles, it is possible for you to do all kinds of Christian things, but you can still miss what's most valuable about Christianity. And so the writer goes on, well, like, well then, all right, maybe, hopefully I got your attention a little bit, um, well, how would I discover it? What he says is, you've got to see yourself as a runner at the back of the pack. You've got to see yourself as one with feeble arms and weak knees. I was talking to my wife Lisa this week, and I was talking through a difficult situation with another person. And at one point I said to Lisa, uh, sweetie, where do you think I have gone wrong in this situation? And she told me a few things that came to mind. <laughs> But the truth is, she could have gone on and on. <laughs> and the truth is that I can be a resentful and angry person. And I can insist on seeing things my own way, even when I am blind, maybe blind. And the truth is, I can be someone who lies or shades the truth. And the truth is, I can overwork and neglect my friends and family. And the truth is that I can look at certain categories of people with their attitudes or their beliefs, and I can look down on them. And the truth is, I can be really, really frightened and afraid a lot of the time. Well, some of you are thinking, but I thought you were the pastor. <laughs> but that's the point. It's the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. And the author of Hebrews is trying to say, that the way into the kingdom of God is not by demonstrating your strength. It's by recognizing your need. So 
So what the author is primarily interested in is the health of the church community. So in verse 14, he writes, look at verse 14, he writes, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Then 15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. And then this, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So he's interested in restoring the community. In Hebrew culture, bitter root is any plant that is poisonous. And when you or I fail to see ourselves as someone who's sinful, with slack arms and weak knees struggling at the back of the pack, then what tends to happen because of our pride and superiority is we tend to harm others in the community. We just do. We harm others in the community because we think we're right and other people are wrong. And so we tear other people down with our words and we cause trouble and defile others in the community. The writer says we transmit poison because we carry poison. It's the bitter root. And so the writer says, our problem is we fail to see our need for grace. Again, the default of human, every human heart is to think that we can earn our way to God. So Philip Yancey writes it this way. Yancey writes, I once read that proportionally the surface of the earth is smoother than a billiard ball. The heights of Mount Everest and the troughs of the Pacific Ocean are very impressive to those of us who live on this planet. But from the view of Andromeda or even Mars, those differences matter not at all. See, this is how I see, says Yancey, the petty behavioral differences between one Christian group and another in the church. Compared to a holy and perfect God, the loftiest Everest of rules and laws amounts to a molehill. I love that image of the billiard ball. We think we're climbing. We think we're scaling the heights of God's holiness. So the writer to the Hebrews says to you and to me, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. Again, the point is our ability to appreciate grace is in direct correlation to the degree to which we acknowledge our need for it. And the truth is that Romans 3.23 says for all What's that word? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So where do you need to acknowledge sin in your own life? Not that you might be condemned in your sin, but that you might be liberated by the gift of grace. Where do you need today? Maybe you have some situation. And where do you need to recognize the log in your eye? Where do you need to confess your sin and not somebody else's? See, we're all experts at somebody else's sin. Where do you need to confess your own fears and anger? And instead of resenting, resenting somebody else with whom you're in conflict, where do you need to have compassion on them and say, like me, this is a sick person in need of God's grace? I'm really asking that question. I hope you'll, something will come to mind. The Spirit will bring something to mind. And you'll start to move, not, you'll start to move away from just your resentment and your anger and your bitter words about another person and instead you'll move toward 
what is it that I share? What is it that I have in common with the person, this other person? So what is God's grace? Uh, If you read Hebrews chapters 1 to 11, the Jews had been trying so hard to keep the Mosaic covenant and scale the mountain of God's holiness. They were making their daily sacrifices, and annually the great high priest went into the Holy of Holies. But the author's point, if you were to read the first 11 chapters, is none of this was working. Year after year, and again and again, the priest went into the Holy of Holies to make blood sacrifices, but he was still standing. Why? Because his work wasn't finished. And so the author goes into great depth about this. The Jews' system for overcoming sin wasn't working. So the writer tells of a superior mediator, of a superior covenant God made with his people. The superior mediator is Jesus Christ, and the superior covenant is the covenant of his grace. And after the true mediator became the one lasting blood sacrifice on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the the Father because finally, finally, finally his work was finished. And so chapter 11 says it's by faith that you join in uh, the benefits of that unilateral covenant that God made with his people through the death of his son. It is by faith that you receive it and you're joined to the benefits. And so with love in his eyes, he says it's all summed up in this one word, grace. Don't miss this. It won't come naturally to you. You'll overlook the painting in your kitchen because you'll be oriented another way. You'll be oriented toward religion. Every human heart is. So you've got to grab hold of this. You've got to take it back because everything within you will resist it. It's so counter-countercultural. It's so different. And so he's saying the same thing to the dear people at Community West. Don't miss grace. See to it that no one Misses the grace of God. See, really, the author is trying to show us what God is really like. What is God like? We think we know what God is like. The Jews certainly think they knew. And the author says, no. The Father is like the Father who, or, or God is like the Father who receives the prodigal, sinful son back into his house with a party. God is like Jesus who met the woman at the well who had a sinful life. She had had five husbands and now she was living with a man who wasn't her husband. And so Jesus didn't go to her and say, you are living a sinful life with men. He went to her and he said, I can see that you're thirsty. And I want to show you where you can find a drink. See, it's a scandal. It's the scandal of God's grace. It's not fair. Grace is not fair. You don't get what you deserve. And the next person doesn't get what he or she deserves. It's the scandal of God's grace. Brennan Manning, some of you know, and by all all accounts, he's a man who died a drunk. And Philip Yancey writes that Brennan Manning once wrote him a postcard with only six words on it. I am the one Jesus loves. I am the one Jesus loves. Now Manning tells the story of an Irish priest who is on a walking tour of a rural parish and sees an old peasant kneeling by the side of the road praying. Impressed, the priest says to the man, you must be very close to God. 
And the peasant looks up from his prayers, thinks a moment, and this then smiles. Yes, he is very fond of me. See, Christianity is, isn't intuitive. And we won't come to it naturally. And part of what it means to be in the church is to come back to what it does mean. We miss the most valuable part hanging on our kitchen wall. And we have to help each other come back to it. What is it? It's God's undeserved favor. It's, we rest not on what he, we have done, but on what He has done. When someone asked theologian Karl Barth what he would say to Hitler, he replied, Jesus died for your sins. And we say, Hitler's sins? Yes, Hitler's sins and your sins and my sins. So friends, uh, this is the good news. I hope you hear the good news. This is the good news for today. I think the good news is literally on every page of Scripture. And we found it right here in Hebrews chapter 12. The good news is the good news of God's grace. Don't miss it. If you're here today and you've rejected the church, you've rejected the faith because you've never heard this message, maybe you thought the life you've lived disqualified you from God's favor, then I think we as the church need to ask forgiveness for confusing the message. And if you're here today and you haven't recognized your need for grace lately, maybe in a long, long time, maybe the walls of pride and superiority have built up in your heart, then this is the day that you have the opportunity to receive the most valuable gift God has to give you. Don't miss grace. Don't miss the opportunity to acknowledge your personal sin and receive God's undeserved favor. And then maybe, then and only then, you'll be excited to share this news with somebody you know. Amen. Let's pray. Spirit of Christ, break through our hard, prideful hearts and give us the gift that we can't give ourselves that only you can give. All praise be to you, O oh God, for the gift of your Son, Jesus. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would also minister to those here who maybe have felt disqualified from the church and are learning something that the church means to convey. And so for all of them here or listening, we pray that you would extend your gift of grace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.